on Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, he'd have always got the good old pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, it is time to have a Monday's Experts chat, and it's one of my favourite segments of the week, and I say that on every Monday around this time. And if you're listening across our radio network on New South Wales or whether it's via the Tab app across the country, or you're catching up with this on our podcast, which is very popular, it's an opportunity for us to hear a little bit about the story behind the name. And, of course, today, Racing HQ is coming to you live from... Beautiful club, Menangle, ahead of this weekend's Miracle Mile. And a gentleman that's involved heavily with the race club here. And we've spoken to this gentleman on Sky Sports Radio plenty of times about what's happening on the track. Well, now we're going to put the magnifying glass on himself. And I hope he likes talking about himself. David Watson, welcome to Monday's Experts. Hey, Dave. Yeah, there's a few people that might agree with you there that I don't mind giving myself a little bit of a rap occasionally, but... um. We'll see how we go. I think it'll be good to, to find out a little bit about your journey because we've all got a little journey um, in terms of doing what we love. And you obviously, from what McGeeran said, absolutely love your role here. You live and breathe harness racing here at Menangle. Where did it all begin, though? Where did you grow up? Oh, look, I'm a, I'm a proud Wollongong boy, a yep. gong boy, um, born and bred. Um, Fig tree, West Wollongong. Mum and dad born in Wollongong. Grandparents from Wollongong. So, yeah, very proud um, from where I am. Uh, a really strong harness racing town, once upon a time. You know, names like um, Brian Hancock, yep. Vic Frost, all come from the Wollongong region. Um, Bulleye Trots was great. Once upon a time, Kembla Grange had the trotting track inside the galloping track there. Very, very strong. Nara on the south coast there. So really, really strong background with harness racing. Um, my grandparents had horses. Um, Brian Hancock actually drove one of the their first ever horses they own and it was one of his first ever winners at Harold Park so it goes a long long way back that was the early 70s okay so growing up in the gong uh, when that obviously introduction to harness racing then was and and racing in general was probably very very early doors yeah yeah. look some of my early childhood memories are going to the trots going to Harold Park with my grandparents. Um, they call it the Halcyon days of the 70s. I'm not going to give up how old I am. But the Halcyon days of those mid-70s and some of the great horses. But I can remember going to the members' reserve stand now. I'm probably going back a little bit there in the old wooden seat. You had to get a ticket. You had to buy a ticket to get a seat there at Harold Park. And being a kid, five, six, seven years of age, and watching the Paleface Adioses, wow. the Run Joe Runs, and those sort of horses, Sleepy Fellas, evolved into um, your Pure Steels, Koala Kings, Frosty Imp was a favourite. I just loved Frosty Imp as a kid. Like, uh, um, that's that, that was my upbringing. Yeah, I had other sports. We had football and cricket like we all did, yep. but harness racing was just a passion. What do you think about the sport captured you the most as a youngster? Apart from, obviously, the love that you're... Isn't it funny? So, obviously, I love it, uh, racing because of my grandfather being a big influence, and I saw the love and passion he had for it, so I wanted to learn everything about what he loved, so he would go, how good. Was it a bit the same for yourself, or was it the colour, the excitement? What was oh, it? Th- that's a great point. The excitement, the colour, the nighttime racing, you know, with the silks. Yeah. Um, back in those days, too, like, there was disc on the wheels. They'd just come in, but before that, like, it was, they were all alloy, alloy, the... the sulky wheels yep. so they were shining in the light as I said they were silks back then the colours today they're like all weather colours back then they were the silks it was so bright the animals they're just such a good animal the standard bread they're a beautiful animal mm. um, you fall in love with them um, I, I probably got to be a little bit careful there but the, the excitement of the punt yeah 
um, as you know, there probably wasn't the RSA and the RCG that there is today. <laughs> so it wasn't adverse for your grandmother to say, look, I can't get down there, Smokey, because that's my nickname. Yep. Can you go and have a dollar each way this yep. horse for me? You know, maybe a 10, but I could get down to that far bookmaker quicker than she could. So, yeah, just all that excitement. And I think, too, even though times have changed with certain regulations and rules, there is still that excitement. And you see that when you have big events here at Menangle, and you would get a little buzz out of that when you see young ladies, young boys coming, and then also families bringing their kids, and just that little twinkle in the eye. Um, and, and almost you knowing, well, you know, we're probably hopefully going to see that person back here again either in a, a few years' time or even next week if they're over the age of 18. Well, we're really lucky. We have here once a month on the second Saturday of the month, we have what's the night markets. It brings a massive crowd here at um, the food markets, and we have a lot of families come out, and you watch the kids, and similar to what we did as kids, racing up the straight. So they're racing the horses while the race is on. Like, got no idea, concept of the speed, but you'll see there'll be five or six kids racing the horses up the straight. Yep. Um, we've got great lawn areas, great family areas where you can have the picnics. That's something we've got to reinvigorate because as kids we got brought up with that passion, like you said, like with your grandfather, mm. that excitement it brought. But with the advent of Sky Channel and those sort of mediums, there was a sort of a generation lost where between myself and this one, people weren't going to the trots. People weren't probably going to the sport in general like they used yeah. to um, because the coverage is so good on TV. Why would you want to leave it? But we're very lucky in, in the area we are that... We've got an opportunity that the area is developing. There's big home developments happening. We can catch into that young in, that young demographic that come and see that excitement because the excitement hasn't gone. The mm. excitement's still there. We've got a great product. You're so close to it. You're so close to the horses, whether it's on the track or in the stables. Um, so that excitement has gone. The animals are still exciting, and they're still beautiful animals. We're chatting with David Wanson this morning. Uh, David is the General Manager of Racing Operations here at Clubman Angle. Now... How long have you been in this sport, would you say? Would it be 20 years you've been oh, in it professionally? Okay. As an administrator, I started in 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, as a owner, unofficially and officially, um, from about 1983. Yep. Um, my grandfather sold me a horse for $1, um, and her name was Lady Wellvan. I can still remember it. And the reason that was, he said, I'll give you, or sorry, he gave us half of a dollar, but I had to do everything with her. I had to feed her and look after and yep. work her. That's how I got to learn to drive a car on the jogging machines, on the jog tracks that we had out there in Coniston where we used to work the horses. So he said, Smokey, if you do everything with the horse, I'll sell her half of you for a dollar. Now, she had six consecutive seconds at the start of her career. So you can imagine as a young bloke just wanting to win your first race yep. and she's got six consecutive seconds. We chase races everywhere. So from that point on, I, with the family owning horses, Dad was a trainer, Yep, um, very successful trainer. Uh, never had a, a lot of horses, but a lot of good horses, um, a lot of good trotters, you know, crikey dicks, golly goshes. I know they're not made up names either. Yep. Um, Queen's Rhapsody, um, Lost in the Park, Group 1 winners. Um, so I was involved with that, but I come from uh, a background where I work just in the club industry. And in 2003, uh, 2004, Peter Volandis went to Racing New South Wales. Uh, John Dumasey, who was in my role, become the CEO of Harold Park. I was asked um, the position become a Bale Racing Administrator, and there were some great candidates at that time. But there was a couple of directors that... For some reason, I was working at Bulleye at the time. I was only been there for about six months. They seen something maybe in what they seen I was trying to do at Bulleye, and that was you know, just get some excitement what we were doing down there, trying a few different yep. things. 
went for an interview. When I come home from the interview, mum and dad said, how'd you go? I said, oh, I'm about 66 to 1 to get the job. Yep. As it turns out, I was very lucky. I had uh, uh, the vice chairman at the time, Rex Horn, um, a great supporter of mine, John Dumasy himself, like he'd just become the CEO, put a lot of faith in me when, you know, maybe others mightn't have, just a young bloke that was just doing his best, um, gave us the role, and I've appreciate it to this day what they were able to do for us what would you be most proud of then since that time of getting the nod to to have a crack and and be that young bloke oh look this this complex yeah being such an integral part of the development of this this project here what we've been able like harold park as we like it was legendary status what it was to the city of sydney everyone that i've ever spoken to you've talked mentioned harold park and some way shape or form they can become involved with harold park they've got a story about harold park but this was the future you know, harold park was getting old it was in the middle of the city people couldn't get there things were falling down around us um there was a massive chance to sell it at a great price and to build what we've got here today we've got arguably one of the best race tracks in the world not just mm. australia but in the world uh the stable complex is world class the training facilities are world class just to be involved with that the races we're able to provide here but the infrastructure we've got and actually the security we've been able to put aside with the money that we've been able to invest from the sale of harold park to give people security in the future of the sport has been really really important so I'm proud every day I come out. Yeah, and so you should be. Correct me if I'm wrong in the development of this track because obviously it um, it was something we hadn't seen before in New South Wales, a, a complex like this, or for that fact the world. But you did, and like any um, racetrack, you're kind of not reinventing the wheel, so to speak, but you're picking, you're able to cherry-pick ideas that you and the team had seen from around the world and put them right here in Western Sydney. Yeah, and that's right. Well, they did. Like, I remember Rex and John, um, they'd done a lot of searching. They, they went on a few trips to have a look at what, what worked at certain places and what didn't. We put a, actually a survey out to the participants on what size track they wanted. So they, the participants had a say in what they wanted. And when that come back, there was about 240 surveys that come back. And I think there was two, outside of two, there was, so there was 238 that wanted a 1,400-metre track. So the participants had a say in what they wanted. Mm. Um, that was what we wanted too. So that was a great result. But I think other than two, one of the 1,400-metre tracks, so they had a say in that. With the stables, um, that we have people come from not only all over Australia, but we've had them come internationally to have a look at our stabling setup. You know, the horses come. I think the horses like coming here. They, they say to their trainers, can I nominate it? an angle because I like the stable so much they're mm-hmm. sitting on rubber they stand on rubber mats all day there's 10 wash bays there's a sprinkler system in there there's fans the stables are bigger than what your normal stables are we've got areas behind the stables where the sulkies go so it's very safe in there we have a great air conditioning driver's room uh, swabbing bays the state of the art as I said we've got walking machines so what happens, we have these walking machines on course where the horses come through. So when a trainer comes, he may travel one, two, three hours with a horse. They can actually get that horse off the float, go and put it on a walking machine, let it walk down after it's been on a float for a couple of hours. The horse is comfortable. The person goes out and gets all their... The trainer goes and gets all their stuff, sets all their gear up in the stables, goes and gets their horse. It's had a walk for 15 minutes. It's settled down. It feels nice and relaxed, comes into the stables, goes to sleep before their race. It's... Yeah, you know, those sort of things just aren't available at yeah, other tracks. They certainly aren't. We're chatting with David Watson this morning on Monday's Experts. Um, talk, let's talk about your family. So you've got two daughters. Yes. Uh, are they involved in the harness game? Um, 
a little bit. Yep. So uh, Georgia's 19. Um, so she's a typical 19-year-old. She's out in the workforce now. She's working. Jonty, my daughter, she works here occasionally. She's yep. 17 doing year 12. She actually helped with the awards day last night. She was one yeah, of the, the hostesses. She was looking after the trophies and all that. John and uh, John Dumasy and Kate Dumasy after she partake in that. And she comes here. Uh, she'll help in the driver's meal room occasionally. Um, it's funny, the other day, you don't really realise the grasp they get out of it, but she come home the other day and she goes, oh, Dad, I've seen Jack Trainer's got a few horses in um, the Ladyship Mile. And I went, where did you see that? Like, why are you looking at the form guide yeah, for? Yeah. She goes, oh, you know, I have a look every now and then. I'm like, okay, that's good. Like, she's 17 and she's already yeah. having a look at the form guides and seeing who's racing. So That's fantastic. Yeah, that was good. I was, I was actually pretty proud of her. There, one thing I've noticed from a participant point of view, and I said this to your marketing uh, girl, Jess, the... The demographic is quite young. There's a lot of uh, young people coming through, obviously from their families, that are involved with the sport. And I think that's then attracting a younger crowd who obviously they're mates with to come and watch them perform on a Saturday night, to come and enjoy the facilities here at Club Angle. So there is that, that younger generation starting to come through, isn't there? Well, our Club Angle medal is based on the youth. Yep. So it is, it is a medal that we're trying to recognise the youth that are coming through. Now, there was a lot... Um, that Will Rickson comes from a great, fa- uh, a great harness racing families. That Peter Rickson's his father, uh, Cindy Rickson, who's a Turnbull um, harness racing royalty. Yes. Um, so he won the medal yesterday, which is a great result. But some of the previous winners, like Cameron Hart, Jack Callahan, like they're world class drivers already. Uh, a guy, Todd McCarthy, left here two years ago. Um, he was a leading driver when he left. He won a couple of Inner Dominions. He's gone over. He's like third in the United States, second or third in the United States. Now, won a couple of their big million-dollar races in the United mm. States. He is world-class driver. And what he said was, just before, just, he was leading up to him going, he goes, I've got a lot of friends over in the Camden, that region. He said, we've got to start doing stuff. We've got the marquees and that. He said, start putting parties on for these younger people because he's Facebooking, and I don't know anything of Facebook, yep. Snapchats and stuff like that. He said, we'll get the younger people over here. We've got a great product. He said, whenever I tell them about the trots, he goes, they love it. Like, you know, the excitement that, yep. let's get some parties happening but some of our drivers as i said cameron hart josh gallagher jack callahan these are guys in their young 20s mm. making a very very good living um good young personable blokes um the girls are dominating like we live we're very very lucky we're in a sport that's just, it's not male dominated the girls just do as very as every bit as good as boy you're amanda turnbulls and stuff like that yeah they are absolutely dominating and doing a very very good job at what they do and you touch on a key point they're making a good living because obviously prize money that uh, time when you bought your horse uh, first horse for a dollar and you were running second i'm not sure how much you're running second we're racing for, for about 700 a boy so how much are we racing for if you if you had if you had that same horse now running second how much would you have picked up uh, a lot more than i would have <laughs> then okay so look if it's you can come on a Tuesday and no race is less than $10,000, just on a midweek. On a Saturday night, there's no race less than $20,000, and they just go up from that total. So here on Saturday night, you've got the Million Dollar Miracle Mile, you've got the $200,000 Derby, you've got the 100000 Light Horse, you've got the $125,000 Hammerhead Trotters Race. Um, there's no race under $30,000 here on Saturday night. Uh, you'll be racing for about $1.6 million here on Saturday night in the ca- in the region of MacArthur, in the Campbelltown region. Over the carnival, I think there's about $3 million in prize money. It's not, it's not to be sneezed at. No, it certainly isn't. What about your footy career? Because you did play some footy for the oh, Steelers. Oh, yeah. It was, I suppose it was a bit like Animo. Not that I was that good. <laughs> it, it went that quick. 
but by you the time got, you blinked, he was past the you line. You still got to put Look, that Steelers jersey on. Hey, I got to put the I got to put the Magpie jersey on. Yes. I, as I always say, a bit like me, both of them um, are just like um, defunct now because um, there's no Magpies and there's no Steelers. This is a bit like my football career. But I was yeah, I was really lucky. I come through with a great bunch of guys at the Steelers because I was a Wollongong boy and there was a lot of locals that we all played there yeah. together. Um, I know that earlier on the show there was Laurie Dale. I got to play against Loz a couple of times. He won't remember because, like, I was just um, dust in the wind to Loz just <laughs> running past us. Um, I, I, uh, people say, what was the best thing you remember about your football career? I tackled Wally Lewis. And then he tackled me, and like he tackled me. And Mark Guy tells this great story when he fought Wally Lewis, yep. and he says, "I didn't know whether to punch him or ask for his autograph." <laughs> well, I remember he tackled me right, and he was with another guy, and he's going, "Get him on the ground! Get him on the ground!" I'm going, "Wally Lewis can't get me on the ground." Like he just dominates State of Origin. I'm just standing here, like it was. That's what the sort of things yeah. I remember. I mean, and and obviously being a proud Wollongong boy, um, and I've done a few functions down at the the Steelers, and. Obviously, I'm I'm a Dragon supporter, but that rivalry between St George and, and Illawarra that still bubbles away. It's, it's, it's more of a rivalry between what is one club than yeah, all the other clubs, exactly. If you want to call it that, exactly. Who, right. Who's St George? Who's St George Illawarra's greatest thing? Well, no, St George and Illawarra are their greatest rivalry. <laughs> That's exactly right, exactly right. And it might even be a little bit like that with West Tigers and it is too, it, isn't it's it? Funny. Oh, they got the West Old Boys, yes. and um, yeah, they're not called the West Tigers Old Boys. They're the, they're the West Magpie Old Boys. Why is this race on Saturday night so important and so special? for not only harness racing New South Wales, but Australasian harness racing in general? Oh, look, the Miracle Mile captures the imagination. Um, Len Smith, the founder of the race, it's the name itself. It's the Miracle Mile. Like, they still talk about Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile. Well, this was all about breaking two minutes. You know, It was unheard of in, in most parts of the world when that happened. Um, the evolution of the race. A couple of little evolutions of the race was the speed that it could create. It was a f- like the first time they ever had it. They went 159. First time ever broken, 1967 by Robin Dundee. That two minutes had been broken in a race anywhere in Australasia. Just unbelievable that it could, that was the setup of the race. Things that I can remember about the race, it's, it's brought about revolutions in what we actually use, some of the harness. Like Village Kid won a couple of races in the 80s. And Bill Horn, Chris Lewis, the horse come from Western Australia. Now, you've got to remember that back then there was not the Sky Channel and that. So when he came here, he didn't have a dust sheet, right, on his sulky. Mm. For, well, for the next two years, people weren't using dust sheets because they thought it must be quicker. And then you had, like, um, Robert, um, Robert Dunn from New Zealand brought over two horses that competed with Master Musician and Defoe. And he brought over this sulky. It was called a Challenger sulky. And he went really good. All of a sudden, people went... Well, we've got to go and buy Challenger sulkies. <laughs> so it was like... So there was these evolutions. And then just even just here, Monkey King in 2009 bought a hybrid American sulky. Now, everyone was sort of questioning, can he use that? Because people were just still using the Challengers and you know, maybe a pace, yep. uh, pace set of sulky. He bought this hybrid. Well, it was official. Within 12 months, everyone had the hybrid American sulky because he won the Miracle Mile. So it's brought about those little evolutions in yep. the race itself. Now, th- this is a really important part. Up until last year, no horse had ever won this race three times. Mm. Now, Melbourne Cups, you know, when you talk about world um, significant races, Melbourne Cups probably up in the top three races in the world. And it had already been won three times maybe 15 years ago. Up until last year, no horse had ever won the Miracle Mile three times. Mm. That's how hard it is to win. Mm. 
Uh, and why do you think that is? Because it's uh, just so grueling every time. You know, you mentioned that the speed of the race. I mean, they will run extraordinary time here on Saturday, won't they? Oh, yeah. Look, the, the barrier draws really set it up for a time. Uh, and we're seeing the new breed of horses come through. I've heard a couple of interviews earlier, like the four-year-olds coming into this race now, um, Catch a Wave, Captain Ravishing. Like, the speeds these younger horses are bringing, once upon a time, horses wouldn't be at those sort of levels until they were five, six, and seven. And that's why it was probably so hard to win three or four times, because mm. horses weren't really reaching their peak till a little bit later. These horses today are coming... like. They're racing at their fastest at three, four, and five years of age. So catch a wave and captain ravishing, yes, a little bit inexperienced, but it's a different way. And even it's a little bit with the, gall- the gallops as well, the mm. thoroughbreds. These horses, you know, once upon a time, the Bart Cummings wouldn't run a horse in a Melbourne Cup unless it had done 10,000 kilometres or something in its legs in the lead-up to it. Well, today, they went to Melbourne Cup's six, seven, eight starts into their careers. It's like this. It's Captain Ravishing's at about 14, 15 starts. Catch a Wave hasn't had many more. But they're at the top of their game. Mm. Um, they're two of the favourites for this week. Um, just that, that younger generation and the speed they bring. But you're right, as, even though it's only over a mile, the preparation to get up to win a Miracle Mile, there's only so many times you can peak at any any sports person can. There's yep. only so many times in your career that you can actually reach your peak. So you've got to be at your peak to win a Miracle Mile. And of course, too, you've got to be selected to race, to be in the race. And I think that's an interesting aspect because in terms of that peaking, well, you've got to be on the radar. You can't be, you know, poking around and and, and building for that one opportunity because if you're not going that good, you're not going to get picked. Well, you've got, you're absolutely right. Like, you've got to perform... Actually, you've got to perform twice to get into the race yeah. because you got the you do have a couple of qualifiers, but then there's also the wild card events. Yeah. But you've got to beat your peak for those qualifiers. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to be up for a number of weeks and good form leading up into it to be able to win the Miracle Mile. I love the passion it's, that's uh, oozing out of you, mate. Uh, before I wrap it up, what about the future? Uh, you've already been here a number of years. It's flying. Um, What's some of the things that you'd like to continue to see be achieved? What's on your wish list? Ah, uh, look, there is a really big wish that's uh, going to come to fruition With in the September, the Eureka. Yep. $2.1 million. Um, Graham Campbell and Harness Racing Australia. Andrew Kelly, what a fantastic job. Look, it's copped some criticism. Will that be the richest harness race in the world? The richest harness race in the world, $2.1 million. It's going to be right here in the region of MacArthur, Campbelltown. Wow. Um, and will you have... Some international flavour, no doubt, for that. I mean, I, I'm sure that I know that it'll be a slot race, which have to you'll make selections. I saw recently on the social media. I think Queensland Racing are going to have a number. They're going to build their own series off the back yep. of it to see their. But in terms of international drivers and just sort of you know, there'll be a lot of people going in well, harness racing land. It's only for Australian bred horses. Yes. So that's it. But from an international point of view, absolutely. And just little things that you'd like to be able to talk to Graham and Andrew as a club. Like there'll be um, a great marketing uh, budget set aside for that. But just little things we can look at, like maybe going to America and getting the top driver from America. Now, the top drivers in America are actually from New Zealand and Australia. Dexter and Dexter Dexter and Todd. So to be able to get them sort of drivers to come back and compete in the race, Mm. what a fantastic thing that would would be. be. It would just give it that world exposure as well. Um, I I think it's going to be something really special. Should Racing HQ go on a bit of a tour? 
Should oh, we come along uh, to try and get I Dexter think, and Todd back? And I'm pretty sure we Timmy can. Timmy Tetrick, you know? Jamie Jamison. Can, I'm sure we can. I remember that International Drivers Championship yeah, Tim, that was Tim conducted. Tetrick, yeah. That was there. Timmy Tetrick was here. Uh, Jody Jamison. There was um, a couple of uh, Europeans as well. Um, and that's one thing about harness racing, which I think is sometimes forgotten by the other codes, is how strong it is internationally. Oh, massive. It massive. is so strong. The, the trotters are really strong in Europe. Like, it's basically all trotters, not paces yep. in Europe. But you go to events in Sweden and stuff like that, the elite top. Yeah. Um, I think it's like the third biggest sporting event in Sweden. Yeah, it is. It's huge. Uh, yeah, you know, they have thirty or 40,000. They, they all dress in pink, and it's just a massive, massive event um, to the people of Sweden. Um, so, Dave, I'm pretty sure we can... Racing HQ. Yeah, Racing bit, HQ. I think I we can get on the plane. To... I've been getting on these planes and travelling all around New South Wales, which is fantastic, but... I often fly over that international terminal. I think, geez, you know, maybe we should get HQ and, and just take it to, you know, somewhere. I could see myself in oh, Sweden. I, I think that would be quite good. I, well, no, it's not the business, the business finding exactly. adventures. Exactly. So. Just, it's all about, all about just bringing that yes. back and then making racing stronger here. It's been a pleasure to talk to you this morning, mate. Nice to hear a little bit about your history. Uh, and I'm sure everyone listening this morning can feel their passion through the radio that you have for this sport. It's in very good hands here, along with the rest of the team, uh, not only here at Club Angle, but also uh, Harness Race New South Wales, and bring on the weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be brilliant this Saturday.